0: Welcome to season one, episode three of your Smart Money Mindset podcast. Hi, Caleb.
1: Hey, Dom. How are you?
0: I'm not too bad, thank you. I'm really good and really excited to have you on Your Smart Money Mindset's third episode titled, Let's Talk Money with Caleb Bakari. I don't want to talk too much about you because I don't want to take your thunder, steal your thunder, Um, but you know, 25 years old, the guy is an investment banker. He's bought his first house and he is just, he's on a roll. So (laughs) without further ado... Can you just give our listeners a little bit of info about you, what you're about, where you're from, your background, um, and yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, you know, thanks for having me um, on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. And thanks for all the kind words. Um, I hope I don't disappoint. <laughs> you know, <one> <laughs> expectations. Don't um, you dare. <laughs> in terms of, yes, yeah, so in terms of myself, you know, just very, very sort of quote unquote normal background, you know, grew up in... Uh, Southeast London, first born of um four siblings in a Nigerian household, um, with both parents around. In terms of, you know, focusing on money, I don't think we came from any sort of, you know, I didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth to put it to put it mildly, you know, very much a you know, working class but making ends meet, um, household. And then, you know, my parents were very, very focused, both being sort of academics themselves. Um, or at least very academic when they were in the academic field, um, you know, university, et cetera, et cetera. They were focused on making sure their children went to to good school. So, you know, my dad trained me um, to to get into a grammar school in in the local area and, you know, sent me to a few a few um, tuition companies as well just to, to get me up to speed, and that's where I went to. So that was sort of my upbringing for seven years. I was there for seven years um sort of in that mindset learning about lots of different things including money economics finance and i say that that sort of knowledge actually came to me in the latter stages of my schooling so in particular in the in the final two years of being in school is when i started to read um you know the economist and i think we were speaking before don before this podcast about my passion for economics every saturday morning in the library you know from from back to front just because i was so fascinated by what i was learning and i was studying economics at the time for a levels and i wanted to understand you know about what makes the world tick from an economic perspective from a global perspective and i was reading a lot about financial institutions and um you know how banks are at the center of the economy. And that sort of piqued my interest in, in a substantial way. On top of that, you know, after after school, went to university, studied at the London School of Economics. I studied management. Um, and yeah, I mean, during that period, both in sick form, I actually did uh, four internships in different investment banks across the world. So two here in London, in Canary Wharf, um, at Liverpool Street, and then Uh, another bank i interned at twice in nigeria actually in lagos island um and that's at the time it was a universal bank so they offered both investment banking and retail banking services and that was purely based on you know networking and passion you know only one of them was actually a formal program um the other three were were just me essentially reaching out to people that i knew at the bank or actually for, for the first one it was um, almost two way. Um, it was the the dad of my best friend who worked at one of the major investment banks in London. I was speaking to him at an event that she'd organized and we were just in the crowd sort of having a chat before it started. And he asked me what I was doing. I told him I'm passionate about economics. I wanted to go to a top uni and he said, I should come along and, you know, sit with him and meet all the different people in the bank. And I did that and I made the most of it, you know, I took my notebook and wrote down everything that everyone was saying and asked loads of, you know, at least I thought they were intelligent questions. <laughs> <know> <laughs> Um, and yeah, that led to a few things. I actually met someone at the bank who actually knew, uh, the, the person I would be working with in Nigeria at the same summer. So that was quite interesting. So yeah, anyway, back to university. So at university, I did three different internships there as well. Two in, sorry, I should say four, actually a short one, a week long one in first year, and then a longer one during the summer for nine weeks in first year, another one in second year. Um, and yeah, and then I started working um, full-time in investment banking in 2017. And yeah, that's been a rollercoaster, I think. I think in terms of my experience in investment banking, it's been great, I would say, you know, for so many different reasons, being in the center of the financial industry, I work specifically in debt capital markets. So we help companies, countries, and uh, financial institutions raise money through borrowing. That's been great working with, you know, top countries, CEOs, CFOs. Um, finance ministers across the world also on the personal side you know personal finance has been really interesting having to save invest you know what to do with all the all the income that you're not getting that you weren't previously getting at university has been really interesting for me and just last but not least i would say that i think what's guided my my um, thoughts regarding personal finance apart from god obviously because you know he guides everything i do in my life but what's guided my my thoughts on personal finance from a literary perspective has been reading a lot of books so one of the books i always advocate for is rich dad poor dad you know book by robert kiyosaki that actually read for the first time when i was quite young maybe around 15 16 um and he essentially talks about the different ways of making income you know ways that are ways that allow you to have time freedom so by time freedom i mean you know you can make income and not have to work you know eight nine ten twelve hours a day for the mm. rest of your life and ways that you can do that where you do have to work those kind of hours. And he basically explains how you can transition from one side of what he calls the cash flow quadrant, uh, which is essentially four pieces of a square, whereby on the left you have people that are working for their living. And on the right, you have people that are not working for their living because they've you know, been able to make money through investments. And he explains how you can mm-hmm. trans- transition from one side to another. So I always had that. I wouldn't even say at the back of my mind, probably at the forefront of my mind when I was doing all these work experiences, asking people, you know, especially in high positions that I knew had very high salaries. Are you doing anything else on the side? You know, whether it be business, whether it be investments, property, you know, and likewise. And the answer almost resoundingly was always yes. People always said that, you know, their only source of income was definitely not through their job. And that struck me. And it struck me as something that I would have, definitely have to learn about and then also replicate when I started working, which is what i tried to do. So, sorry, I've been talking for a long time, but I hope that was a decent No,
0: summary. not at all. No, I, that was a really good summary. Um, <clears throat> what I want to kind of find out from you, and it, obviously I'm a bit biased. I've known you for a very long time. Um, and one thing that's always struck out to me is you just always seem to have in relation to finances is together. Okay. Mm. Um, Always kind of know what you're wanting to do with your money and how to make it work for you. You've always come across that way. And I just kind of want to understand for all my listeners who, who, who are tuned in, where did that come from? That just innate ability. If you're from the outside looking in that innate ability to just, want to manage your finances well and and just being able to do so?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I don't think it came from my mum and dad initially. I never growing up, you know, I got a lot of a lot of great lessons from my my parents about so many different things. And you know, finance was one of them, but finance wasn't the main one actually. I think what my parents instilled in me was discipline, education, and then and then spirituality and faith. I wouldn't say finance was one of the major things my parents instilled in mm. me, especially well, up until much later, <laughs> maybe in the past one to two years, I'd say that's definitely changed. I think where it came from was actually just um in inspiration and wonder as to how people got to where they got to, how things worked. You know, like this is going to sound so cheesy, but LSE, <laughs> the uni I studied at, the yeah. um the motto for the university is to know the causes of things, and I think that's actually where it came from because I just wanted to know the causes of why is it that. You know, certain people, you know, were so rich, the likes of Bill Gates, the likes of um, when he was alive, um, Steve Jobs, the likes of, you know, Warren Buffett. And also, why is it that certain salaries or why is it that certain jobs paid so, such high salaries? You know, at the time, let's say 2012, 13, 14, you know, being really rich from tech wasn't as popular, at least in my circle. I think for me, I saw lots of, you know, really wealthy people in the city, so Investment banking, corporate lawyers, people working in management consultancy. Especially, I, I read a lot about the financial crisis and, you know, how how things were in the heyday. And I was like, why mm. is people got to this level and how did they get to this level? So I wanted to understand those things. And then I think reading more, like I mentioned, Richard Dad, and being inspired by him, and then meeting people in the flesh that almost embodied the um, the. the the things that he said you should do was really inspiring because it it showed me that, okay, it's actually possible to live this kind of lifestyle. And by lifestyle, I don't mean like, you know, spending on designer and stuff like that. I mean, in particular, live this, live in a way that you're financially free. I find that fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, seeing it around me, seeing it in action Um, And also at school, knowing that because I was, you know, very high achiever academically, because it's one of the things I was passionate about when I was younger and still am, was academia. I knew that if I continue in this course, you know, the likelihood is things are going to work work out well for me. But I don't want to be in a position where, you know, I'm financially, quote unquote, well off in terms of earning well, but I'm not actually using my money. Mm. So I wanted to make sure that I had a purpose for any money that was incoming after I had graduated um, as opposed to just almost being blindsided by, by, by income and not really knowing what to do with it. I didn't want to be in that position. And like I said, you know, I do give credit to my parents as well. My mom actually made me read a book, um, which is really funny. It's actually <laughs> women. It's called careers advice for ambitious women. Um, but you know, me being an ambitious man, I was like, whatever, I'm going to read it as well. Um, and she, the writer, a woman called Miss Moneypenny, that's that pen name. She writes about, how to get ahead in your career, in life. And that really, really like, taught me a lot as well about, you know, networking, academia, your credentials, um, your CV, and also like how to how to establish yourself. So I think, I don't know if I've answered the question, but that's kind of where it started from.
0: No, definitely you have. Um, and I think one of the things that I also wanted to know, and it, it builds on that conversation that we had last week, um Currently, you've you've just recently bought your first property, yeah. um, and going back to something you said just now, that it was really important to you, or you had seen through reading um, how high flyers are really or high rollers are doing well for themselves. They usually have more than one source of income, right? Yeah, it's not just their job. Um, so, putting your role in investment banking aside. Like, how have you kind of lived that out? What have you been doing to, to have more streams of income? Mm. And and then as part of that question, has that played a massive role in enabling you to buy your first property at 25, which we're going to go into, but it's a uh, three-bedroom house, et cetera. Like, it's, it's, it's the big rules. So, yeah. Talk to me about that.
1: Yes, uh, and again, a good question. Um, yeah, you no. Know, to, to firstly, yes, it definitely has paid played a big part in you know allowing me to afford my first house. Uh, you know, twenty four, then going into twenty five. I think what I did was so. One of the things I always wanted to do was invest in stocks. Now, unfortunately, because of the role I'm in 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 the bank, I'm in for my full time job. I'm not actually we're not actually allowed. To invest in single stocks were prohibited.
0: Oh man!
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> I right? I know. It's a, and the thing is, it's such a shame because some of our seniors that have been in the bank for longer, let's say seven or eight years longer, actually mm. they were allowed to. So that rule that rule only came in in the past seven or eight years, which is a shame. Um Yeah. But because of that, I had to look outside of you know single stocks. So I was either investing in indices, and I didn't really go for those either. I I kind of went completely alternative so i looked at things like bitcoin i looked at a synthetic stock index or the football index um which is essentially um investing in shares of players and you know it's interesting because it pays you dividends but it's based on football which is something that i'm interested in anyway that worked out quite well for me actually um i think what that allowed me to do funny enough is that it's not the the, the amount that i what, well, to be fair i did put in a fair amount but i think it wasn't necessarily because I wanted to um, you know, use that money to, the, the money I got from it to invest again. I essentially wanted to use that money that I got from those dividends, let's say every day or, you know, X month per week to to live off to be sort of my uh just uh
0: play money yeah exactly money. <laughs> smaller expenses
1: smaller expenses wherever it would be okay. getting a coffee getting an uber going to some place on the weekend like i wanted i wanted yeah. it to be that kind of uh, money and then you know th- there was capital growth there as well i think that was the main one for me to be honest i did that for about maybe less a bit less than two years maybe a year a year and a half um mm. that was quite useful also on top of that the company i work at has some share schemes that i got involved in very heavily actually um so i put a lot of money aside to buy to buy the shares um you know of the actual bank now i had to take them out before i could actually before they could actually make me any money so that just served as essentially a savings pot um and funny enough i wasn't <laughs> Even though saving is so important, and like, I definitely had a saving scheme for the majority of my career. I always knew that if you save, the likelihood is that you'll get a very low rate of return, you know, probably less than 1%. To be honest with you, you know, one one or two. Yeah. I didn't want that. I wanted to make sure that my money was working for me in a meaningful way. So that's why I didn't save too much of my money. But I think coming up to buying the property, I was more interested in just having cash and capital available when the the bank or the estate agents or the lawyers needed it as opposed to making huge returns from money. So I think in maybe in the six to eight months preceding the knowledge that I definitely wanted to buy property, I started to sort of dial down on sort of more riskier investments and focus on just saving and, you know, cash savings and stuff. I think I didn't get nicer. Actually, I planned on getting one, but I just half forgot slash half talked myself out of it. Um and just yes, right. saved in, in normal cash um terms of bank okay. account instead.
0: Now in relation to your property investing, now we're gonna get into the nitty-gritty of yeah. it. Um it's an interesting thing because I was saying to you when we caught up last week or so, what you've done is you've sought to buy your investment property before you've even bought your like home home, as in your first home or a place that you are going to live and um, reside in and what you often find. And it's something that I was kind of grappling with when I was deciding um, on buying a property. It was, do I buy my first home first? Do I buy an investment property or do I buy my first home and then wait a few years, you know, and then look to maybe invest later? Why did you pick that particular sequence as Mm. in, invest first and then look to reside um buy a property that you would reside in. Um, uh, is that the best way you, do you think? Mm. Um, yeah. What tip and stuff do you want to share?
1: Yeah. That? Yeah. Good questions. Again. Um, I would say to answer your so second question first, cause it's a bit of a shorter answer. I would say in terms of whether mm. it's the best tip or not, honestly, it's down to your own personal preferences. I always knew that I was very comfortable at least, you know, for the first three to four years of my career living at home, I, I didn't need to move up, I say. But, you know, very quickly, I realized that if I stuck to my savings plan, I would have a deposit, I'd would, I would have enough cash to act as a deposit to buy, you know, a property, especially with a resident, residential mortgage. So I wanted to make sure that the, the money was being used for something, um, number one. And two, I knew that if I'm not going to move out of my house, but I am um going to either look to invest or look to the property market, then I wanna I wanna do it because essentially living at home you save a fair amount of money, you don't have to pay rent, for example, and all those other bills that
0: <laughs> what you don't have to pay rent well, <laughs> oh my god no, yeah. um
1: well at least the, um, amount, of, the yeah. amount of you know rent. You have to pay
0: is yeah expensive. the amount that you pay that your parents isn't the same yeah, but, yeah. if only i could have gotten away with not paying. <laughs> yeah
1: <anyway>. um <laughs> but yeah the, the demand is a lot, a lot smaller and the cost is just, is just less um and there are also that you take yeah. granted that you don't get when you're living by yourself so there's yeah, all of that. Yeah, yeah. um so, yeah, that's what I would say in terms of whether it's the best strategy. Honestly, a lot of people like to buy their home first when they move out. And that's both for financial reasons and also because people just want their own space. And I actually completely understand that. I'm actually getting to that point now where I'd love to have my own space, move out and as well. So I, I completely understand the mindset. And for anyone that's thinking that way, I would definitely say go for it. You know, don't limit yourself to financially mm-hmm. because you know at the end of the day life is for the living and not everything is about money um sometimes things are about your yeah. own mental health your own personal happiness your own sense of your your own feeling of growth um and progression in your life so it's you know it's almost swings around about in the sense that what works for one person won't work for another person mm,
0: know you know what,
1: yeah yeah, yeah. so that's the answer to the second question the answer to the first question um sorry don't, don't remind me of the first question again <laughs>
0: So do I even remember the first question? No, we're just saying that, you know, obviously you brought the investment property first um before buying the first home. So, like what was the reason for taking that step, that that sequence, which you've kind of set out already? Mm-hmm. You know, whether you had um any tips in the best way whether you should buy the first home first and, and then do the investing or vice mm-hmm. versa. Um yeah, it was kind of that yeah. really. Um...
1: Huh? so many things kind of led into it you know you know what? actually i have a very very distinct memory and i'm not even sure people that were in that class will remember this but i've got a very distinct memory when i was in the training program for my graduate program um you know at the bank i'm at our trainer yeah. was speaking to us he was speaking to us about you know because he was a former investment banker for i think seven years before he went into Mm. training and he was speaking about you know how he felt when he first started earning it, et, cetera, et cetera. and you know how he would do things differently what he did well and he encouraged all of us very very strongly and almost said, you know we shouldn't forget it to get onto the property ladder as soon as possible when we start working now bear in mind yeah. I'd, I'd heard of property et cetera, et cetera, before that but I was just I was quite fascinated because I think advice coming from someone that's done that's been in your shoes is always a lot it carries a lot more weight because you know that you know, yeah about-
0: it's been done before and it yeah. can be but it's possible exactly, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. and i was wondering why is it that he was so adamant that we got to the property ladder and he, he was saying a few things about the property market which at the time i didn't understand but he was essentially saying that look property's cheap um and it's worth investing in and i was like really um i didn't really get it but i was i was just so fascinated by why he was so like kept on talking about it and it was like oh you need to turn the property ladder and then as I like started to speak to more people they were like oh you know you just you start to hear it a bit more property ladder this property ladder that and I'm just like what's so good about owning a house like there are so many like yeah um but I, I think that made that curiosity led me to look into it a bit you know okay what are the pros and cons of owning mm. a property and if you're using it to invest what are the pros and cons of investing in the property market versus for example equity or or you know cryptocurrencies or uh, Whatever, yeah. whatever. And, you know, I looked into those and I thought, okay, this is worth doing. I think, I mean, one thing I liked about property, which, you know, some people could dispute, is the stability, the relative stability versus other asset classes. I and mean, then once you put your money locked yeah. in a property, I mean, even if the property like sort of gets blown away by the wind or, or gets smashed into pieces, we've got insurance, <laughs> which is great um, building insurance and, and contents insurance, but also the likelihood yeah, of that happening yeah, is yeah. so low. I think the property is always going to be there. The property market is, a lot of metrics on the property market are publicly available. So it's easy to track whether property prices are going up, whether they're going down. It's easy to get a sense of what a property mm. value should be. It's also easy easy to get a sense of how much property value can rise if you put a certain amount of work into it, which is what I've done, and also what kind of rental income you can get from a property. So all the numbers that you yeah. need to think of when it comes to investment are quite easy when you look at when you, when you consider property. Also, there are a lot of people in it, I think, number two. So... For me, building networks is always key if you want to major in any area. And I think the fact that there are a lot of people in property already yeah. from different parts of the UK, different parts of the world, sort of put me at ease because, one, if it was dodgy or if it didn't work, people wouldn't be doing it so much. Um, two, because mm. there are so many people in it, I can always, there's almost a wealth of knowledge out there that I can just draw from almost endlessly. Like, I was never going to be in a place where whereby I had a question on whatever it is. And I, there wasn't anyone I could speak to about it. You know, there's my parents, there's, and the thing is, I like the fact that a lot of people in my own personal circle were also interested in property investment and were involved in it. So, my parents, family, friends, yeah. people from church, but also people I met on social media, people that run property companies, property mentoring groups, et cetera, et cetera. Like, there are so many people that have an opinion on it, which I thought was great. Um, and also, mm when it comes to investing and you're investing a large amount of money, you want to make sure it's in something safe. This is kind of like similar to point one and investing, you know, a lot of money in cryptocurrencies and equity sometimes isn't a lot of people aren't uncomfortable with that, but when it's a house, it's, yeah, yes. exactly. when it's a house and it's bricks and mortar, you can see it. You understand it because you've lived in the house your whole life. It's just, it's easier. I think one of the drawbacks is that it's quite slow. You know, everything takes ages, but it, yeah. for me, that was it. And I just wanted to make sure also on top of that, the income from, you know, other asset classes like equity, like cryptocurrencies, even though it's definitely real, for me, it wasn't as um, uh, as regular as, for example, renting out property. Now, having said that, people could definitely. I yeah, was
0: just about to say. Yeah, that. people could <laughs> definitely say,
1: well, you know, you're not always going to have tenants in your property. That's exactly. So it's, it's definitely down to <laughs> your marketing skills and also, I mean, the kind of area you buy in, what kind of property you buy in, the kind of tenants. yeah
0: etc etc but
1: i I saw enough examples of people that were doing it well to make me think i know what to do and also if the property is empty i know Mm. how to navigate
0: that as well yeah that's great so in terms of like when you decided okay my first property is going to be my investment property how long did it take you like what was your saving plan if you don't mind sharing also quite controversial i know i'm throwing all of these questions at you and i'll remind you when you forget. is do you think that you would have made the same decision if you were single?
1: That is a good question. Okay, I'll start with the first one in terms of saving then. So in terms of saving, what was my savings plan? To be honest with you, my savings plan was very basic. Um, I think I looked at all my expenses, um, took took my income monthly and then looked at all my expenses after they'd been paid down. Um, And I thought, okay, how much of this – can I save? And I thought, you know, both in percent and terms, in terms of, and in terms of an outright amount as well. So I saved about, and I would say this is, I don't know how realistic it is for people, but I genuinely do want to, I want it to be a target. And I think it is. Really-
0: no, I do want you to share. Like uh, we're we're honest and open here as exactly. much as we can. I
1: think I saved about around fifty percent <laughs> of my income probably for the first, you know, two years or so. Um, that, sorry, that's yeah. after expenses and taxes and everything. So not 50% of the gross amount, but 50% of it, once everything's paid off, 50% of my disposable income. And essentially that was, no. to be honest, this is where my parents yeah. come into it. Like my mum was always saying, Caleb, you're spending too much. You don't need to buy this. You don't need to buy that. You don't need to go need to go there. And I was like, <laughs> okay, fine. She's got a point. Even though I was like, mom, please just give me a break. But she had a point in the sense that, when when you look at your disposable income and this is the reason I spoke about that in particular it's completely down to you how it's spent it's not like a money it's not like money for a bill but you have to spend it yeah
0: it's not fixed it's not variable it's It's discretionary so I thought how can
1: I regulate my lifestyle regulate my outgoings regulate my spending to the effect that I'm able to enjoy myself now but also build for the future as well so that's what yeah. I was I was essentially thinking. So I saved about around around 50% of my disposable income. Um and I think eventually
0: What what sacrifices did you have to make with that though? Like was it a restriction on how often you went out? Was it a less, you know, Starbucks coffees, obviously before um the pandemic? What kind of stuff did you have to do to make yeah, it um, possible?
1: It's kind of all of it really. I mean you know what? you know what's funny, Dom? I actually, <laughs> and this is where like the investment mindset comes into it again. When a lot of people say, what sacrifices do you have to make? I think it's all of those, you know, not, not spending too much on sort of the menial. I was also lucky because yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't, my transport costs were quite low um, because my transport TFL, so like underground mm-hmm. for me is free, for example, where that's not the case for a lot of people. Um, but I actually challenged myself to say, how is it, how can I save this amount that i want to save which is 50 percent of my discretionary income and still live relatively close to the lifestyle that i wanted to live and that's what led me to invest in Mm. you know the football index and the reason i did that was because i wanted to actually with the other 50 percent of my income that i was using as my discretionary i actually wanted to to use that almost as not just spending money but also money that i can use to work for me and make me some income as well so yeah, that, that's that's essentially yeah. what I'm doing. But to, to answer your question properly, yeah, I mean, you just, I, I just cut down on a few things here and there, really, choosing not to take an Uber. I think Uber was sort of the bane of my life at the time. It still, kind of is to a, to a lesser degree. Lazy <laughs> and tired. Um,
0: not going to Dubai every time I see a video from you. I've only been
1: once today. But yeah, not not going on like. You know, expensive holidays or like making sure things are are manageable. So if, even if you do want to go on holiday, not going with a really expensive airline or going, you know, premium economy or business class or whatever, but just getting a normal ticket, you know, choosing cheaper airlines, for example. Um,
0: Halving how much money you spend on clothes talking from somebody who was a bit of a spendaholic with clothes so that's cutting that down as well that's definitely true
1: the thing is that that was actually instilled into me much younger so I only really well at the time anyway I only really used to buy during sales you know I used to try and get as much discounts as possible and I used to buy in bulk during the winter Mm. sales so whether it be boxing day or January I used to buy in bulk then and then like only buy things that I realized I needed short term when they became available um so that's that's kind of like how I did that. Mm. In terms of your other question, really interesting, did you you said that, you know, would things have been different were I in a relationship and I wanted to get on that?
0: Yeah, because the the reason I say that is all of my friends, I am the only one who is not married, and I have no problem with that. I'm I choose that and um I'm very happy. But what you find is they therefore got married and their first home. What's their first home? And they think about investing in all that other stuff later. And I feel like it's a lot easier for single people. Maybe I'm just saying something that is a given, but to maybe, especially if you're living at home or whatever, or in a place that you don't need to leave anytime soon, to look at investing in all that stuff mm. up front and first, before you look at future plans, um, you know, family and all the rest of it. It was definitely the case for me, you know, when I spoke to you last week and I was saying, look, investment property is the first one and then I will think about the family stuff later down the line. Um, So how do you think, did you being single play a massive role in you being able to make the investing stuff a priority now first?
1: I would say... Having I, I, this is what I would say. I would say that I think I've had the the investing mentality my whole life. I can't say to you how it would have changed were I to have been, you know, in a serious relationship or engaged or married because that hasn't really been the case. So Mm -hmm. I I, I can't say to you that, okay, this is how I would have changed because I think it really depends on the mindset of your partner, the mindset of yourself, how much you're willing to sacrifice where you guys are trying to get to. And it's almost different for everyone. And it's almost different for whichever partner you have. Do you know what I mean? Because some partners will be more inclined to Mm. living, not necessarily in the moment, but just spending for things that that are practical. Like, okay, we need to get a house. We're going to get a house. We need to get this. We're going to get this. Whereas other partners would be more inclined to, let's save and invest. So that, you know, either saving for a rainy day or so that we don't need to work our whole lives and we can focus on financial freedom. So it really does depend on the person. For me, I've always had the, like I said, the investing mentality and the almost thinking as someone that was, you know, working by myself, working on goals that were personal to me, as opposed to working in tandem with someone else or working in a partnership. So I've, I've always navigated investing um in that sense having said that though i know so many different people that are married or you know seem to be married that are very heavily invested in everything stocks and shares cryptocurrencies isis um property so it's definitely possible and you know they would be better placed to speak about the sacrifices you have to make when doing that in a relationship or in a marriage but for me yeah, to a certain degree. I mean, I definitely didn't have to to spend loads of money on, you know, my partner taking her here and there and buying her this and that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But having said that, it's not like I wasn't <laughs> generous with money when people in my circle or friends or whatever needed it for whatever reason. So yeah, you still get that. Oh, you still get outgoings yeah, yeah, yeah. that aren't to yourself, that are still quite substantial even as a single person. Um, you know, as someone with a fairly wide network, yeah. I'm always prone to know making sure that people are okay financially and if anyone comes to me with a financial need you know i'm the kind of person to at least be generous with it yeah. you know what i mean <laughs> i don't really think there's any need to be stingy because life is more important yeah, yeah. than than bank accounts at the end of the day so so, so yeah.
0: yeah oh i love it. honestly one thing i just love so much about you're so humble and you're just yeah um it doesn't go to your head it yeah it's very very rare and um it's it's a great trait to have so just thinking about time um i really want to get onto the house i want you to talk us through you know just briefly because we don't have that much time left um finding it um what you did with it you know the flipping and the it it looks (laughs) amazing just talk to us about that (laughs) and and um what your future yeah. plan is for it and whether you're you know looking to to buy any more to invest or what's yeah, the I'm what's
1: sure the, so the honestly, Dom, I would say the process of finding a house for me it was so fun. I loved it completely. I really I really I really did enjoy myself. <laughs> I found it so almost exhilarating. I did it with my parents I, I was, as I as I'll speak about it shortly, but the process of you know looking at I think we looked at, you yeah. know. I always say up to 100 different properties. Maybe it wasn't that many, but it was definitely around, you know, 50 oh. to 75 at least. Um,
0: I th- looked yeah. three times and I yeah. was like, I love this. A hundred, yeah. I could not do it that. It was really, 100. really fun. Wow. Um, okay.
1: And the cool. reason for like looking at so many, and I was actually similar to you, the, the very first house viewed, I kid you not, the very first house viewed, I wanted to buy it. <laughs> I was- mom that yeah. you know this is great <laughs> yes there are a few things wrong with it for example i had a bathroom upstairs which was something that i didn't mm. want Also, it was next to a massive oh. football stadium which is also something that we didn't like but I was like, it's fine it works let's buy it but okay mm. i tried to buy now, Kayla. don't and um, this is something they told yeah. me they said don't get emotionally invested in property especially when yeah. it's an investment property see it as an investment unit. even if you do live there don't buy it because you think oh i really want to live um, you know, in this room, I really want to do something, just see it as what return I'm going to make. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know what I mean? it's, just,
1: it's fine. For, and, you know, estate agents will tell you this as well. Estate agents realize that when people want to buy properties to live in, they're definitely more emotionally attached to the properties versus investors. But, mm. um, yeah, sorry. Anyway, back on track. So we did lots of viewings, you know, and essentially me and my parents um, were looking for uh, properties that, you know, had value in them structurally but also need to work on them to the extent that we yeah. could push up the value if we did work on it more than the amount that it cost to do the work so let's say let's say just you know very easy example and this isn't what we did but a very simple example if you buy a house that is a three bed and it has an empty loft um and the loft conversion would cost let's say 45 grand you know give or take but turning it in from a three bed into a four bed would you know, make the price go up by like 60 grand or 75 grand, then that would be a viable investment to make because you're essentially yeah. putting down a certain amount, let's say 45K, but the value you're getting out of that is, you know, more than that, one. let's say one and a half times. So that's the kind of thing we're looking at. And honestly, mm-hmm. there are so many different houses that fit, that remit. There are houses that, you know, you can do loft conversions to, houses that you can add an extra bedroom, houses that are completely run down and need everything fixing, which is kind of something like like what I got... Um, and also in terms of the in terms of the area, so many different areas. We went up to Sunderland actually. We went up to Sunderland to look at properties. Um, we went, you know, we looked at wow. properties, different parts of London. You know, near, we live in southeast, so places like Crystal Palace, Dulwich, where we live um, yeah. in, in Croydon North, um, and yeah, it did loads of different places in in those kind of areas as well. Um, and yeah, essentially that was the process. So mm-hmm. there were quite a few places that we we liked. I actually put offers on I think two different properties before the one I bought. Um, they didn't get accepted, thankfully, actually, because they were fairly expensive, but they didn't get ex- accepted just because we were beaten by someone else who who bought them mm. or they got priced out of our range. But this we were looking at on the market. Yeah. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, it's a three bed. It was the 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 it's a former house of an old woman.
0: Don't skirt over that. Like, oh yeah, as you mentioned, it's a free bed. Yeah, it's a free bed. You should be very. Yeah, yeah, proud it's, of it's, it's a free bed. Oh, <laughs> I think
1: the rooms for me. I knew I wasn't going to live there. If I was living in a property, I wouldn't naturally buy a three. But I think it's maybe a bit much for a single person. I would probably look at
0: yeah
1: a two bed. But yeah, yeah with an investment property, two I will more focus on the price as opposed to how many beds. I'm making sure that for whatever price I'm paying, the amount of bedrooms is a fair amount to have. So if I was paying a smaller price, I wouldn't mind a two bed. If it was a really high price, then I wouldn't even have minded a four bed, even though I don't think I would have been able to afford that. But a three bed for me, just, it kind of worked for for everything I was looking at. Mm. Um, so yeah. Um, mm. it, like I mentioned, just a three bed and it was the former house of, of a woman that had moved out into a care home who was quite old and she hadn't done any work on the property since I uh, even know the seventies. Um, it was really, really old, pretty run down. Um,
0: yeah. yeah it was run down, and I only say that because of how much yeah. how different it looks now, like obviously I'm not saying it completely that it looks amazing now, honestly yeah, so yeah. there was so many yeah, things cool. it didn't
1: have cool. um didn't have central heating, it didn't have a working bathroom um per se the the kitchen was seriously old. Um, the flooring needed redoing. It was old grubby carpet and also the floorboards weren't too too safe. We also got a builder to come and look at the property as well. Mm-hmm. Our builder actually looked at three properties with us, the other two that we put offers on and also this one as well. And he realized that in the walls, the plastering was a bit substandard. So we had to redo that. And with the redoing of the plastering, you have to um essentially take out all the, the walls down to the brick and then re- re-add your own insulation Um, and plaster as well and then yeah I mean there were so many like building things that weren't that weren't done I don't know if I mentioned the bathroom but that wasn't done either the rooms themselves upstairs were pretty old there was nothing wrong with them per se but they were just pretty old Uh, and it was just a very very old property but the good thing is structurally it was sound so it's not like the property was falling over it's not like there was anything Mm. wrong with it per se
0: so tell me what is the long-term plan um, do you think that for now, yeah, okay, you've done the place up and you'll be looking yeah. to obviously rent it out eventually. Um, are there gonna be more properties that you're wanting to invest in? Because what was so beautiful when we caught up was there's something that you said that you just want to live a life where you are I think it was just financially free and yes. you just don't really think about money at all. So Bearing that in mind, what is, and you don't need to obviously have your full plan mapped out, that's yeah. not what I'm asking to or alluding to, but what is your next plan to make what you're wanting, which is to live freely um, and not worry about money?
1: The long-term plan would be to rent out that property. I think it's important to also get the right mortgage products as well, so you know, either getting a consent to it or turning, into, turning the mortgage which is currently residential into a buy to let mortgage, which my mortgage lender said is fine as well. Then um, also after that, definitely looking to get a yeah second property. I think building a property portfolio is the answer to your question. So not just a second, but a third and a fourth, although that's not going to happen for a long time. But, you know, looking to getting a second property, I think in the, in the near to, to medium term to essentially do the same thing and explore what's available mm. to me, you know, whilst I'm here in the working world to, to the point that, you know, I do become financially free, get that second source of income that's building. Um, I think that's something that's quite exciting.
0: I really appreciate you just coming on and just mm-hmm. being open and just saying it like it is. As we spoke about, as I did say to you, I like to do something at the end of my interviews. Um, and that is just to throw some quick questions at you and for you to just let me know the first thing that you're, like that comes to mind, okay? So really quick. The first one being, if you were to yeah. say anything to your younger self, um, about you know how he can get ready or prepare himself for where you are today, like what would that one tip be? That one thing that you would say to
1: yeah, I would say you to know younger to younger Caleb. me and then also to people that are in different stages of life that are trying to build. And this is something that I, just, I don't think you can do it enough is to just yeah. essentially read into your given topic your given area or given passion as much as possible and on top of reading network as well i think the ability to combine reading and something that's um almost theoretical with seeing it in practice can be very inspirational and it can be very powerful um because it's almost like you're bringing the words on the page to life so yeah seeing more examples of people that have done you know whatever it is that you know you're passionate about as a young person or even as an older person, it doesn't really matter the age to be honest. It's all about the mindset. Um, And yeah, being well-versed on your topic so that you start to understand certain things, asking, asking questions. There's no stupid question. um, And just, you know, being, being about it, essentially just being passionate about it and being up for it. So that's what I would say.
0: And this is my last question. You don't really need to answer if you don't want to, I'm just being cheeky, but you know, a lot of people look, into the future, and say, I want to do this job, I want to have this responsibility, I want to earn this much. When you yeah. say that you want to be financially free, do you have a number in mind that you would like to have coming in, whether it be from one mm. income, four income streams, whatever, that would make you feel like, yeah, now I'm living financially? Free yeah. and independent,
1: and just yeah. I've heard I've had a, well, a, no, a lot of conversations, but I've had some conversations on this topic with actually in a clubhouse room. Um, and also, I was also thinking about it as well because <laughs> I was thinking, like, personally, and this is this goes for like you know, single people any responsibilities. I would say that it's possible to live off 500 pounds discretionary income a month, but is that how much I want to make from mm. being financially free? No, it's not. I definitely want like to make a lot more than that now that's yeah i've heard some crazy no. things honestly like i was in a clubhouse room and one of the women on the stage she was she's a great mm. property investor she was she, i think she came from the corporate law industry she essentially said that she wanted to or she, she was advising me to look at the top earners in my industry um and see if i can replicate their monthly income, mm-hmm. but that amount would just be so high. I don't even know how I'd ever manage to do that. So I think you kind of have to be have a happy middle. And so I don't the thing is I've always thought numbers, but to be honest with you, dom they've changed they changed quite a lot because <laughs>
0: You Just because, like, I don't want to be like, oh, so you know, hard.
1: it's 1,000, it's 3,000, it's 5,000. No,
0: but if you had to put like a stab in the dark, nobody's going to hold you to it and nobody's going to say, oh, well, you know, in 2000 and this, you said. What would, for now, what is the one figure, what number is, is coming to you that you would think, yeah, um, this is good? I'm good.
1: I would say maybe the 2,000 to 3,000 mark. Um, in a month, and to be honest with you, I think, like I said, because right as of now being single and not having like that many outgoings, I think that would be like quite comfortable for me, yeah, things would change if I were you know in a relationship mm-hmm. or if kids, a number would have to go higher because you have other responsibilities, but yeah. for me, as a single person, this is what I was thinking about earlier you there yeah. are certain things that you don't really have to have, and even a thousand pounds can be absolutely perfect for you, so. That's why I said the number changes, because sometimes I'm being a bit more greedy and I'm just like, no, no, no I want much more than that. Sometimes I'm being in my like, what are your necessities? and yeah. maybe less than that. But that's kind of a ballpark um, of what I'm yeah. thinking at the moment, which is subject to change.
0: Thank you so much, Caleb. Well, guys, you had it first from Caleb Bakari. If you enjoyed this episode, then please like it on your favourite podcast platform and feel free to email me and send me any questions to Domsey at yoursmartmoneymindsets.com we'll be back on the second friday of the month 9th of april for a 25 minute with Domsey segment something that as you know i love to do in between interviews thanks a lot guys and speak soon